It's down in a heap. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Down in a Heap podcast. I'm your host, Rob, podcasting to you live from beautiful Northeast Minneapolis. There at the top of the show, you heard the musical stylings of Goblin's Henchman doing his whumming version of my theme song. The combination of whistling and humming at the same time. A man of many talents, Goblin's Henchman. Today, I'm going to take a look at some of the like background uh, notes that I gave to the players in the uh, 2023 Planet Eris game I'm running, and how I'm handling background lore and rumors. That's right, Thunder's Way! <laughs> I love that sound bite. So, the players have access to the Planet Eris Gazetteer, which you too can get through uh, Drive Through RPG. Uh, it's Jim Johnson, uh, the Scribes of Sparn, I believe. Uh, Planet Eris Gazetteer. Uh, so, they have access to that and. Everything therein is assumed to be something that some rather worldly adventurer might know about the about the world. And it might be true, and it might be hearsay and inaccurate, it might be legend, whatever. But it's all there for them to peruse and uh and look at. And there's actually quite a bit in there about the last outpost to Sparn and the Wildlands of Oros, where this campaign is kind of taking place. But I also wanted to seed uh, their characters' brains or whatever with, uh, with other bits of uh, information, and I, I want to break it down into two categories, lore and rumor. And what the characters begin the game with is dependent upon their starting attributes. And I wanted to have intelligence be kind of the modifier for lore, because I look at intelligence more as uh, the character's education than I do about their mental acuity or anything. And their charisma will be the determining factor for uh, for the rumors, because the more charismatic and uh, magnetic they are, the, the people are drawn to them. They're they're open to sharing things that they know and stuff and information that they know. And uh, so, yeah, the more charismatic, carousing types will tend to pick up more of those kinds of things. So, starting PCs begin the game with nuggets of lore and rumor. Um, if their if their score is less than nine, they're going to roll a d6 on the tables. And how I kind of arrange these things is the more the more obscure facts or rumors are on the higher end. 
typically. Uh, so if you're rolling a D6, you're not going to get some of the more juicy nuggets. If you're if the score is between 9 and 12, they roll a D8. If it's 13 to 15, they roll a D8 plus 1 and automatically know uh, the first uh, entry on the lower table or on the rumor table, depending on the, the stat involved. And they roll twice, so they have two factoids. If the score is 16 or higher, they... Uh, roll 1d8 plus 2 and automatically know number 1 and 2 on the entry, and they're rolling twice on the table. So they'll get two nuggets of lore, two, uh, two rumors. Clear as mud. So, yeah, and, you know, these things um, I seeded with some of the air... the some clues about some of the adventures that I kind of know I'm going to have in the, the areas, potential things for characters to investigate. Uh, some of this stuff is true. Some of it's partially true. Some of it's false, like any good rumor table, right? So I'll read off the things that actually the, uh, the players wound up with here. Uh, and this will provide you with a little bit of information about what's going on in uh, the campaign or what might not be if it's false all right so for lore the east coast of oros had been settled long before the empire came by the wandering sea clans of the Bialaros, called the Khazar. their holdings dot the coast and coastal isles of eastern oros and then uh, as an aside if the if the pc who rolled this result has an intelligence of nine plus they know that many of these folks have long been corsairs who hoist red sails when raiding and if the the pc's intelligence is 13 plus they know that the last outpost of sparn was once the strongest of these kazarian holdings called the kaffa all right another nugget they know Aeons ago, colonists from Helicos settled eastern shores of Oros. While they thrived for centuries, disease, war, and ultimately a great curse ended the colonists. Now many of the haunt, their haunted ruins dot the region. Uh, let's see, uh, one of the other ones they got. The jungles are teeming with man-apes! Shaggy, half-human savages who frequently raid human settlements devouring the poor souls whom they kill or capture. Then uh, they had uh, also all manner of giant insects roam the wilds of Oros. One of these, called the Gold Digger or Chalbug, has an innate ability to find gold. They burrow down to find veins of gold and erect vast hives above them. And the last nugget of lore that they possess a community of halflings called low hill is nearby the last outpost they trade with each other while the, the halflings mainly with foodstuffs and a strange herb only they possess the secret to grow called gold leaf it has medicinal value when brewed as a tea and when burned in a pipe 
sometimes imparts wisdom and glimpses into the future. All right. And what rumors did they know? The East Oros Company will pay good money for any sort of Eastern curio brought to them. No questions asked. They also found or know that the centaurs of Oros are very learned and curious, questioning any travelers they encounter for stories and lore of the West, as well as engaging in bouts of philosophical debate. Hmm. Um, they also heard the rumor that adventurers have recently begun pillaging ancient tombs south and east of the last outpost. Valuable art, ancient artifacts have been discovered, though some have not returned. One party did return, but all four of them perished shortly thereafter, their bodies completely drained of blood. And the last rumor that they heard, a small barren isle southwest of the last outpost is uh, home to the ruins of an ancient temple of chaos. Great treasures must lie within, but the dead prevent any living from setting foot ashore. So there you have it. That's the the bits of lore and rumor that the PCs started this Planet Eris campaign with. And after our first session, I put together a document with all the tidbits from the Gazetteer concerning the areas about uh, the last outpost and and the surrounding areas uh, together. So I just gleaned it all out of there so they don't have to hunt around for it. And then I included the the lore and rumors that they had heard and then did a dramatis uh, personae for the, the people that they've encountered so far. And then kind of a uh, places um, and other tidbits so the various things that they have, the, the name of the ship, the, the tavern where they were uh, hanging out after they first came to the last outpost and stuff. So, yeah, that's the campaign doc that I'm going to try and keep updated. And, uh, and you know, they can, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, request <laughs> different things to put, be put on there as well. And maybe I'll just make it a word doc that uh um that anyone can update to anyway uh that's that's what i got going on here those are my thoughts about lore and rumor i think they're good things to have in uh, campaign settings to kind of propel things forward in um uh, in this open-ended kind of situation this exploration game this emergent play style kind of game and i think most or at least a lot of old-school supplements. Always have that rumor table, right? So, and what are your thoughts on that? If you if you have any uh, feedback, drop me a line here on uh, with the Anchor app. Um, <laughs> if, like me, you still haven't uh, updated it and it still works, uh, or you could drop me a line using your web browser for Anchor, you can send me a direct message uh, via Discord, or you can send me an email to bigbalboni at gmail.com with an mp3 file or um, just an email that I could read. 
And I did get some messages, so let's go to those now. Hey Rob, Jason here. Just listen to your latest episode. Acquisitions for backstories or during backstories. Yeah, you know, I agree with you. I tend to be pretty lenient, but you know, a lot of times I'm not running long-term campaigns. We're running a one-shot or a you know, short campaign. So I'll pretty be pretty lenient in what people can have for the character they're starting equipment because it's not really going to matter and the ideas are already adventures a lot of times and things like that. But especially when you're talking about something like a familiar, you know, that that's interesting. And the idea of what's the difference between casting a fine familiar and a magic user having a charm person. I, I think you, that's a great comparison, actually, and, and very apt. Um, yeah, interesting. If, if I was going to run a longer-term game, I think I definitely would start people off you know, buy the book and, and make them earn what they get. But I, I think for shorter games, maybe it's less of a big deal. And, and especially like something like Barbarians Lamori, it's just not, you know, it's not part of the concept. But yeah, for D&D and D&DS games, for Zero to Hero, you know, games, I, I think that's an important place to start. And I agree with you, you, you probably shouldn't bend those rules. You probably should stick by the book. Um, I'll have to go back and look at AD&D. I, I don't remember ever doing that where, you know, you have to take thrown, thrown, thrown hand axe and melee hand axe as separate skills. So I guess by that logic, you know, dagger and thrown dagger are two separate skills. So a magic user could either, either use a da dagger and melee proficiently or throw it proficiently. I don't know. I'll have to look that up and see. Um, I'll call you back on that. As far as the sound quality there, the song at the end, thank you for playing that. I can remember in high school having so many bootleg cassette tapes and things and cassette, you know, recorded either during a concert or off somebody else's deck or something like that. Yeah, sound quality sounds fine to me, man. <laughs> I, I may not be the best judge of that, though. But, yeah, very cool. And I like, unlike modern, modern death stuff, you can actually understand what they're saying. So I think that's a big plus. Um, that is not a cat... A jab at Carl, even though he may take it that way. Anyhow, thank you for all that you do, Rob. I look forward to future episodes. And Oh, by the way, as far as the podcasting, I listen on something called RSS Radio. It's an app. And all, and your episodes you know, populated fine. So I think Anchor was pushing them out, or Spotify was pushing them out. But yeah, I, I don't have an answer for that dip in listenership for that third episode. I honestly don't know so take care of yourself and i'll talk to you soon and that of course was jason from nerds rpg variety cast podcast and the uh cerebrivore podcast uh yeah i'm not uh, a, a very good judge uh, of sound quality either i am definitely not uh an audiophile um it's <laughs> i'm often a little bit puzzled when people talk about how sound quality on their show is you know was poor at the beginning but then they bought some equipment and stuff and and it's sounds so much better now <laughs> and, and i'll be thinking to myself oh i didn't even notice any changes so maybe i have a tin ear or it's because i often am listening just on my phone and the 
sometimes on the, the crummy earbuds that came with the phone. Although I do listen in the car, too, and uh, the car stereo isn't you know, terrible or anything. But, yeah, I just don't really notice any of that uh, sound quality stuff. Now, I mean, I definitely notice through my stereo at home when I'm playing, like, this ancient tape uh, on my even more ancient uh, Ankyo tape deck that's, God, that's that thing's got to be, like, pushing 35 years old now. Maybe Maybe it's older. <laughs> I think I got it maybe for my 18th birthday or something. So yeah, it's it's ancient uh, versus you know a CD or something, and you know uh, so yeah, I can tell differences on on things like that. But when it comes to, I think some people get a little too uptight about audio quality and stuff. And hey, everyone's got their own picadillos, right? So some people that's that's kind of a a sticking point for them if if something doesn't sound crystal clear or if someone's got lip smacking noises in their podcast or uh, I don't know uh, what else was there yeah I could be completely wrong about that whole weapon proficiency thing and requiring uh, both um, a slot used for melee and a slot used for throwing for like a spear or a hand axe or dagger or something it might be me misremembering it might have been something where we just misinterpreted or extended it out to some area where the <laughs> where it wasn't meant to be i don't know um uh, but if you do happen to find the the real answer if anyone else knows for those that are probably screaming at me uh <laughs> as they're listening you're wrong um yeah let me know uh the whole yeah this whole idea of having acquisitions that you have as part of kind of like a backstory or something like I was talking about with this last podcast and the potential animal companion for a druid with an animal friendship spell. Yeah, it's um, it's something I just think is more interesting to to do through play. I, I guess that's the, maybe the bottom line. And uh, I'm trying to adhere, to stick a little closer, be a little bit more fine about playing this game in a more procedural way like the BX rules really have things laid out because I'd like to see how it turns out when we when we hew closer to those rules rather than being more loosey-goosey with things or having a plethora of house rules I've got house rules but uh, I'm trying to to stick close to the spirit of things or more closely to the to the procedures and stuff and so that's partly why i'm being a little bit more of a stickler on that too so yeah well thanks for the calls jason um and you know <laughs> i guess i don't have anything more to say uh moving out along to someone that's got maybe a different take on this whole idea we'll move to joe Richter from the Hindsightless podcast. Take it away, Joe. It's about time you showed up. Yo, Rob, nice to hear you back, man. Dude, Shadow Rising was awesome. I listened to the whole thing. It it reminded me of like some old anthrax musically, not vocally necessarily, but musically it reminded me of like some old anthrax, maybe a little Exodus in there. I don't know. I thought it was awesome, man. Thank you for sharing that. That was cool. Um, and as far as I wasn't going to talk about it, but since you asked for feedback, 
uh, as far as the, your player asking if he could start by having cast that spell to have a pet with him, uh, and you just say no kind of out of hand, I, I don't know, man. I would have at least asked him why, what he wanted. I would have asked the other players what they thought about it. Um, because really, really, it's not that game-breaking. Like, you know, you talked about how it could lead to a slippery slope. But that's all it is. It's just a slippery slope, right? Like, if you're imagining the worst-case scenarios, then sure. But these are your friends you're playing with. They're not trying to be dicks, I'm sure. So, yeah, I don't know, man. You know, like, did any of your other players, the other two guys, did they want to have extra stuff? Or were they just like, ah, he's a druid. Druids are druids. So, yeah, let him have a pet. That's fucking cool. I don't care. Sorry. Um, because yeah, I don't know. I, I just think like, if you're, if your mindset is that my players are going to screw me over, if I ever let them get away with anything, then sure. But uh, are they going to, I feel like they won't because they're your friends and you guys have been playing together for a long time. So I don't know, man, that, but that's just me. I, I, I tend to cut a little more slack than some folks when it comes to that sort of thing. Cause Ultimately, I don't think it, like I said before, I don't think it would break the game. I don't think it would be overpowered or anything for him to have some pet with him. Uh, yeah, so I don't know, man. But like I said, I wasn't going to call in because that's your game. You do you. Uh, but since you asked, there you go, man. Anyway, I hope we hear more episodes soon. I hope we hear some Universal Monster episodes soon. Take it easy, Rob. I'll talk to you later. Peace out. Yeah, I could definitely hear Anthrax in there. And I'm almost certain Jim is an Anthrax fan, so that, I guess, wouldn't be surprising if that influenced him and stuff, too. Uh, but, hey, come on, man. You all, We'd all know that players are always out to get the DM. They're the natural enemies of the DM, and you got to keep them down. got to keep them down. No, I'm just... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thanks for the feedback. I appreciate it. No, I don't think it would be overpowered or break the game or anything like that. And I don't think that Adam was trying to be a dick or or um, anything like that, really. He was... Uh, and to, to be honest, if he had... I think part of the reason why he, like, shot it down <laughs> was just the way he couched it. It was almost like a naughty child or... A, a kid who knows that, uh, you know, his, his parents have said, Johnny, you can't have any, any more sugar before bed or whatever. And yet the kid, you know, says, Oh, can I have another gumball please? Or something. So Adam, like asking, uh, are you, uh, in the mindset to be generous to the players? It's almost like he knew he was asking for something that, was kind of above and beyond um but really it's more i mean yes i do think it's a slippery slope and yes you're correct that's all it is, is a slippery slope uh it would only really become a problem if we all let it become a problem i don't i have no idea what keith and brian thought of it i i don't think they would have really cared one way or the other if if the druid had uh already had an animal companion, uh, you know, a wolf, a hawk, whatever, 
Um, it, I, it probably wouldn't have made any difference to them. It's more in my mind, and it's even more about, like I said, just wanting things to play out at the table rather than playing out away from the table in someone's backstory. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's just how I kind of like to roll with things. Um, and, uh, hmm. oh, wait, so I'm, I'm glad both you and, and Jason mentioned, uh, the, the song I played by Chaos Warband, Jim Johnson's old band. I, I should really try and figure out what the timeline on that was. I bet it's more than 20 years ago. I bet it's more like 25-ish years ago. Hmm, I could probably figure it out by doing a little Google Foo because I went with the Chaos War Band. Uh, we, we saw a show in uh, Wisconsin with Metallica and Suicidal Tendencies and Danzig. Um, so I could just look up when that, when that tour was going on and figure out the year. Anyway, thanks for the call. Um, and, uh, yeah, we'll be, Jason and I have been talking about doing the old, uh, Wolfman coming up here. So we'll, we'll get that together in the next week or two, hopefully. And I'm not sure whose show it will drop on, but, and then we'll do Creature from the Black Lagoon. And then I don't know where we'll go from there, but. We'll keep this going for a while, I think. Thanks for the call. I ask you a final time. Will you allow all these humans to pay for your money? I also had an email from Aaron the NPC uh, saying that he enjoyed the the song uh, Shadow Rising by Chaos War Band, too. So, yeah, thanks for the feedback, Aaron. And Aaron, along with Jason, also said that um, that his podcatcher didn't like skip that third installment of the OSC advanced fantasy deep dive. So yeah, I think my, my speculation on that sounds like that's a a crock and it was just, it's just listening habits and people uh, (laughs) for some reason decided to, to skip that third episode and come back for the fourth. So maybe they weren't all that interested in the, or they were getting tired of hearing about the class breakdowns and wanted to, and came back to listen about the, uh, the, uh, other like advanced options in the game and stuff. So yeah, say la vie, win some, lose some, right? Hey up, Daniel from minutes. Keep calling in, uh, about the animal companions. I of course agree with you. <laughs> no surprise there. You know, I think there's a couple things going on. There's what you said, right? You know, you, oh, I'm going to seek out the, the you know, the magic, if you're the magic user. Oh, you know, I went to the bar the last three weeks and I've charmed a bunch of henchmen, you know, or I'm going to pick the best animal for my animal companion. There is that part of it, right? The Of course, the power part of it. But there's also, to me, the part of it that's about more fun to just play, you know, like to discover at the table what animals you can encounter and possibly charm or what guards you can charm if you're the, uh, you know, the magic user. I think that's part of the game. It's kind of like if you told people, hey, you can start with a magic item, I'm sure everybody would be like, yeah, that's cool. But at the same time, when you find that magic item in play and there's a story behind it, I just think it's cooler. So for me personally, I would much rather find stuff in play. And I guess for me, because I've run a bunch of convention games where, and I ran um, a Hyperborea one for a while, 
where the one of the characters was a I forget what the it's scout or something. One of the character classes can have like animal friends, and they start with some. And I can tell you that the players who played that character at the convention hardly used the animals, and also. When they did, they kind of used them like you wouldn't really use your friend, if you know what I'm saying. Because they didn't have the connection to it. But if you had found that animal and trained it and had been working through, you know, the campaign to this point, you would not just, you know, send your animal off. You'd feel bad if you sent them off to something super dangerous. So, yeah, I think there's – you want people to build the connection with it. So I think starting with it is never as fun for me personally. And that's pretty awesome, though, that you're getting the game going and that you're using the advanced uh, stuff. I still want to spin up the the Planet Eris uh, thing on my end, so I guess we'll communicate as uh, <laughs> as it goes on to where we take it. But I was reading it again uh, the other day after I after I listened to this, and there's some really great stuff in there, really cool stuff. So I'm going to run it in OD&D, so it'd be cool to see how, how the differences are, or how differences play out, I should say. What else was there? Oh, and the music was awesome. So all in all, awesome episode. I'll talk to you soon. And there was Daniel from the Bandits Keep Media Empire, Bandits Keep podcast, YouTube channel, actual play channel uh, on YouTube, and the Monsters and Treasure podcast that he does with uh, K.R. King. So thanks for the call. And uh, yeah, it's really cool to hear that you're thinking about doing some Planet Era stuff too. And Jim would probably love it to hear that you're doing it in OD&D because that's what he wrote it for. That's what he plays and stuff. Um the, yeah, and I I guess I totally agree. The f- having uh, like finding an animal companion, uh, getting magic items, all that stuff. It's always more interesting and more fun when you're doing it at the game table to me. And I think like your magic item, uh, especially. I think you. Uh, there's so much difference between one-shot games and short campaign games like Jason was alluding to in his call from long-term campaigns and stuff. So, you know, yeah, if you're running just a one-shot or a convention game or something like that, and you're, you've got pre-gen characters and stuff, yeah, that's one thing. But if you're playing, if, you, if the intent of the game is to have this uh, long, episodic kind of tableau that, that unfurls, um, it's a, I think it's the players are going to appreciate the magic items that they acquire and the treasures they acquire, the contacts, the, the holdings and stuff when it's things that they've, uh, earned or obstacles overcome and stuff in game, you know, it's, it just is more meaningful. And I think the same thing could be true for, an animal companion too that they encounter out in the wilds, and maybe uh, maybe it was really dangerous to try and acquire this animal companion. Maybe it was just pure chance that they ran into it. Maybe it's a really cool thing, you know, a giant toucan or something out in the jungle. <laughs> Polly, <laughs> Lily, is that what you want? Giant, you want a giant toucan? Um, But yeah, that's so. That's I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. And uh, not that again, not that it couldn't be cool if someone just created it and stuff. But I always think back to this guy we used to play with. Um, he had a couple of magic users that were named Ivan, and they both had guard dogs uh, that they started. There, you know, he purchased them off the equipment list or whatever. 
And we, <laughs> we started jokingly referring it to like Ivan's ethereal hound because you'd never even know he had a dog until something was trying to attack him or something. And all of a sudden the guard dog would magically appear and always be somehow between Ivan and the, the monster trying to attack him. Um, but any other time in the game, it was nowhere to be seen. It was like in his pocket or in some kind of ethereal pocket dimension or something. I don't know. Um, so yeah, there's, I, I think there's always that kind of, um, chance for something to be almost forgotten about and the same could be with with animal companions and with with henchmen and retainers too if you don't kind of reinforce that hey this is actually some kind of um npc or living creature in the game and you have to um you know treat it as such upkeep maybe have it uh, notice things or do something unanticipated and stuff just to reinforce that yeah this thing's still around um but uh the i guess i've talked this out enough and uh yeah thanks for the call daniel glad you enjoyed the music as well and as long as everyone seems to be enjoying the music let's have another easter egg another rogue transmission from Ooh, planet eris so chaos warband let's do more beside. Doom, do, do, doom, do, do, doom, do, doom, ba, 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 ba.
holy crap. <laughs> that concert was, uh, I looked it up, June 26th, 1994. Uh, so what does that, 29 years ago? Yikes. So that's how long ago this, uh, at least this demo tape was from sometime in 1994. So 29-year-old tape. Man, I'm old.